This podcast is brought to you by BrunerAcademy.com, your online resource for the best public speaking, presentation, storytelling skills courses. Become a rock star communicator in any setting. Visit BrunerAcademy.com. Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Live Your Best Life with Liz Bruner. I'm Liz, and my goal with each episode is to share stories of people who are recreating their lives or rising above challenges to write their next chapters with authenticity. These stories give me the courage to go after living my best life, and I think they will do that for you, too. If you like this episode, please leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to the show so this podcast can continue to inspire next chapters all over the world. My guest today is no stranger to reinvention. She's been called a force of nature, an entrepreneur, a celebrated change agent in higher education and mental health. Today, as a transformational consultant and leadership coach, she empowers people to look within so they can call forth their highest, best selves. Dr. Barbara Vakar, welcome to my podcast. Oh, thank you, Liz. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Well, Barbara, you talk a lot about change. You've written about change and you suggest that human beings are hardwired for growth. What does that mean? Change is the one constant. Despite the fact that we fool ourselves to thinking that things remain the same and remain stable, change is the one thing in the world that is constant. We get attached to the way things are, but the reality is that we're constantly growing and changing. I mean, we could look physically at the reality of that. From the moment we come into this world, we're in a process of change and evolution. Our challenge is accepting and embracing that. There's a wonderful quote that has really inspired me for a very long time by Rumi. And he said, try not to resist the changes that come your way. Instead, let life live through you. And don't worry that your life is turning upside down. How do you know that the side you're used to is better than the one to come? Oh, that's good. I've not heard that one before. Clearly, change is challenging at times, but to affect change, We do have to continually grow. We do have to continually stretch ourselves. Why do you believe it's so important, no matter our age, no matter our background, to continually stretch ourselves? I think it's a choice we can make. Not everybody makes that choice. I think it's really important. I think that's what life is about, is there's constantly new uh, ways of being and new discoveries that we can make about ourselves, And I think that's the change that I'm most interested in mm-hmm. is how do we become more fully human? How do we become more fully ourselves? How do we embrace parts of ourselves that we have negated or denied or kept hidden? You know, there are the stories we know about ourselves. There are the stories we don't tell about ourselves. And there are the stories that are yet to discover about ourselves. The work we do on ourselves actually allows us then to be able to affect that in the world, in our relationships, in our work. So I think the more we put ourselves in what I think of as grave danger of growing, (laughs) the more we're able to create those environments that actually support other people's growth. Well, you are certainly leading by example, having stretched yourself and grown many times from psychotherapist to leading many educational programs at Leslie University. In addition, you're the former president of Goddard University in Vermont and the former CEO of the Kripalu Center for Yoga and Health, and now 
you have become an ordained minister. What prompted that calling? I've always been drawn to the wisdom traditions in my doctoral program. I studied world religions, but I think it goes back to even before early, early in my life. I grew up in an ultra-Orthodox Jewish family and community. I remember as a young child peeking behind the curtain in a small synagogue in Brooklyn where my grandparents went. I was on the women's side, the girls' side, and the men were on the other side of the curtain. I remember pulling back the curtain and peeking onto the other side. And I can name it now. I only know the feeling then. But it was seeing the devotion, the devotional prayer that people were in, the men were in, and I wanted that for myself. Mm. And in the world that I grew up in, that wasn't as accessible to girls. Mm-hmm. I left home at a young age and sought out Sufi community, a Buddhist community, really looked for that experience that connects us more deeply to ourselves, more deeply to each other, and more deeply to something larger than ourselves. So when I decided to retire from my CEO position, I needed a structure of some kind. It was frightening to step off the edge. I bet. (laughs) Right? To go from 24-7 to um, waking up to, you know, an empty calendar. And so school has always been, learning has always been a place where I feel the container that allows me to grow I decided that I was going to enter a seminary so that I could study again the things, the wisdom traditions that have inspired me along the way. And it was a wonderful container. You were born in Brooklyn and you grew up in Queens. And you have said that you really didn't know about your family's history, only that the tattoo on your father's arm was connected to sadness and that something bad had happened. And you knew not to ask What was that story, and how did you ultimately learn the truth? So growing up, there was a feeling inside of me of tremendous pain and sadness, and I thought it was my own. And it wasn't until I was an adult, sitting at a dinner table at my father's home, I already had children, that my husband, who is not Jewish, turned to my father and said, Jack, why do you have a tattoo on your arm? Jewish men don't have tattoos. And it wasn't a number. It was a picture. And I remember when my husband spoke, something in me, you know, gasped. Mm. I felt frightened. It was almost as if I had seen that tattoo and never asked and knew not to. My father turned to my husband and in front of myself and my young children, he started to tell the story of growing up as a Jew in Berlin and his family's escape from Berlin, and ultimately they went to Paris and then to Palestine, where he joined the Jewish brigade of the British army and was taken a prisoner on the island of Crete and Mm. taken to camps in Germany and Poland. And his story is one of escape after escape after escape. But I remember as he was speaking his story, it was the first inkling that this person who I had seen as kind of a wounded um, victim in a way, somebody who struggles in the world, there was something that transformed for me, and he became a kind of hero 
Mm. And that set me on a path of trying to understand um, what I thought was his story, but ultimately I was really understanding my own as well and the world's story. Amazing. Now, a moment ago, you also mentioned that you left school at a young age. And what's interesting about that is that your parents were really strong believers in education. And yet at 15 years old, you were so dissatisfied with high school, you left. Now, you did get your GED, you did go on to college, but again, you felt disconnected to the curriculum and you drop out 12 credits shy. Why were you so dissatisfied with college and even high school? It wasn't so much dissatisfied with high school. I think that I was still carrying a lot of pain. Uh, And there was a way that school was not a place that actually helped me to see myself. It wasn't until years later when I went back to school as an adult that I actually felt anger. And I felt the anger that I had never had a mirror reflecting back to me the wisdom that was mine that I was smart in the world that I grew up in that wasn't necessarily a major expectation for me as a girl. Mm -hmm. And I didn't feel it. And so I I think I felt alienated in school. It it wasn't something that directly connected the internal experience I was having. That's very powerful. It was only years later that after you were married and you had children that you did go back to school and you earned your master's and your doctorate. You went on then to create programs for adult learning. Why are these programs in adult learning so important? And can't an adult simply sign up for a course at any college? I would distinguish between adult learning and adult courses. Okay. My passion about adult learning is how we can bring adults into a container, an experience in which they get to reflect on their lived experiences as the ground upon which they construct the questions Mm. that lead them to what they want to know, which is very different than taking a course. So much of what was exciting to me about my own adult education and then the environments that I directed and was part of creating was inviting adults to look at their experience as the ground of their own wisdom. You know, it's interesting. I remember when I was at Leslie working as an advisor in the adult learning program at the time, students, adults were able to earn life experience credits, like 48 credits of their bachelor's degree. These were adults who had never completed a first degree. And Mm. I was sitting with this woman helping her to think about what her experiences were so that she can earn credit for it. And she said to me, well, you know, I haven't really done anything. I mean, I, you know, I've traveled around. I haven't really done anything. And then she starts talking about working with Mother Teresa. (laughs) (laughs) I haven't done anything, right? (laughs) Yes, exactly. And I can tell you story after story like that and what would happen to these adults who then would reflect and write about their life experience to earn credit, it was the transformation of seeing themselves differently, seeing their experience as a valid way of knowing, and also the kind of agency that came with that. Mm-hmm. Because once you know that you have wisdom, that there's knowledge that's yours, it's almost as though you have to act on it. You have to do something with it. And that was very exciting. And I think it's really important what Chip Conley calls long life learning rather than life 
lung learning is really important and particularly now as the lifespan has changed, there's so much to keep growing and knowing. And our experience, in my opinion, is the ground upon which we can construct the path for our own learning. So well said. Education, growth, we've just been talking about that, leadership. These are all patterns in your own career trajectory. And woven into that is that focus of this human condition, which you've been touching on. And this has really been your existence since childhood, it sounds like. What is your definition of an evolved human being? Oh, it's such a great question. And it's what I'm really thinking a lot about now. Mm -hmm. And it pertains to how I'm thinking about leadership also. And when I talk about leadership, I'm not just talking about people at the top of an organization. Right. I'm talking about each of our capacities to lead. For me, evolving is to invite the parts of ourselves. It's like to integrate the conscious and the unconscious parts of ourselves. Jung talks about how at midlife and in, in older life, there is a kind of urge and a need to integrate the parts of ourselves that we're familiar with, that we've presented out into the world, but also those parts that we have sort of relegated into the shadows, the parts of ourselves that maybe we've deemed unacceptable. And what happens when those parts remain unintegrated is that we project them outward and we create others based on the othering of parts of ourselves. It creates much of the suffering and pain that we are seeing in the world right now is that kind of othering. So I think that human beings, our own evolution is so about inviting our wholeness and going into the darker places, the places that we've judged, the places that we've said are unacceptable. And I keep thinking about that saying, you know, that we have to remember that it's in the darkness and pressure of the deep, dark earth that diamonds are formed. Mm. You know, it's in the darkness of the womb that new life is created. And it's in the darkness of ourselves with some of the most powerful and potent parts of ourselves are that we remain disconnected with until we really focus on um, how do we bring ourselves into wholeness. What I have read from your writings is, and I think this is what you're describing, and this is what your work really centers around today, is that heart-centered leadership. And there really is no one-size-fits-all to a model of leadership, but you're talking about bringing the full heart-centered mind, the courage to the workplace, and I think you also describe it as striving to create space uniqueness. Explain that a little bit further. There was a time when I was teaching beginning therapists, and just like I was when I was beginning, so much anxiety about, will I say the right thing? Will Mm -hmm. I know the right question to ask? You know, worrying about one's own ineptitude. (laughs) And I remember repeating to the students, your clients have not come to see Carl Rogers. They've come to see you. And if you don't show up, then your client is left alone. Mm. If I sort of make the connection to the question that you're asking, there are all these ideas, you know, transformational leadership, servant leadership, even Mm -hmm. heart-sent leadership, right? We keep evolving that and doing a lot of writing and speaking about it. But the reality is, in a leadership role, I have to bring who I am, my uniqueness, 
how do I tap into what is uniquely mine to bring to this? If we don't do that, we continue to recreate the very same things that we've been living with. These ideas about what a good leader is that is divorced from the very gifts that we bring to whatever we do. How do we cultivate the leaders of tomorrow, Barbara? You know, I think what I'm speaking to is what I believe is needed, is how do we create within our organizations in a world right now, or in any, in our educational institutions, in our organizations, in the world right now, which is so rapidly changing, we're facing unprecedented challenges. And nobody really has the answers about how we're going to navigate this. Right. But we're all running to try to catch up. You know, I think about post-pandemic, you know, just get things going again. And the truth is that what's going to be needed now is to let go a little bit about what our ideas have been on our expectations of leaders to have all the answers. Mm -hmm. And instead, to create the spaces, it's almost like, to pause and to create the spaces where we can tap into, where there's a space to really listen to the wisdom that lives within each one of us, the unique wisdom, our intuition, what we know based on our experience. And if we can do that with ourselves, then we can create the kinds of environments where we actually mine the wisdom of the collective, where people within organizations are also able to tap into their strengths. Mm. And we're able to think together in ways that in the sort of day-to-day rush, you know, packed up, we don't make the space for. Well, Barbara, personally, you've been married, I believe, for more than 40 years. And I think you have five, five grandchildren. What does it mean today to you to live your best life? Oh, I am living love right now. I really am. My husband and I just celebrated our 45th wedding anniversary and had a recommitment ceremony. Oh, congratulations. Yes, it was beautiful. It was just beautiful. And what I became very aware of as we were in this ceremony that was like a second wedding with 100 members of family (laughs) and friends was it felt like an initiation, almost like crossing into this new portal of my life, Mm. which is really about my consciousness that the runway going forward is shorter than the runway behind me and about how every moment is precious. And my grandchildren who were there, it was really experiencing the connection of a kind of lineage and legacy of being very aware of what it is that I really want to passed down to them, and also just a sense of such gratitude Mm -hmm. and being surrounded by love. And that has become very important in my life. Well, Barbara, you have shown us that growth is possible, no matter our age, background, or upbringing. And you shared such wonderful wisdom and love today. Thank you so much for being on the show. Oh, thank you so much, Liz, for inviting me. And thanks to all of you for tuning in today. May each of you strive to live your best life with not only love and compassion for everyone, but also for yourself. Until next time, be well. This podcast is brought to you in part by Fast Twitch Media, helping people tell their stories and giving them worldwide reach. The future is in the cloud and Fast Twitch Media can take you there. Be your best digital self.
check out fasttwitchmedia.space.